My name is Jesper Ekberg. I'm uh, working at the Swedish Association for Local Authorities and Regions, which is a, a national player around health and care. And uh, there I have the national coordinator for a mission called Strategy for Health, which really is about working more upstream and a population health focus. And uh, before that, I have a, a background as a public health director within Region Jönköping County. So I have a, worked a lot around leadership and uh, public health within, also in collaboration with the municipalities within that county a lot. Um, and then uh, my heart is really beating a lot around the quality improvement and how that can come closer to the public health area. Because sometimes public health can be very big and macro, and uh, I think it's very well, well welcoming to combine that work with the QI work, so so we really can also test and develop and uh, and um, talk on real results and so on. And you say you've had some involvement in the kind of organising and programming of this Gothenburg event that's going to happen uh, in the spring of. 2022 just tell us a bit about that yeah i'm in the in the program group for the conference and i also uh, have a strong focus on the population health and public health work and and how we can integrate them within the other streams around person-centered care or or mental health and uh, also uh, on the the patient safety program and so on i think really we, we have to look on the preventive and and the proactive work as a part in each stream and so on. So I have a role to try to get things together there. And tell us a bit about what's happening currently then in Scandinavia in terms of public health and quality improvement, because I'm sure those two things are on lots of people's CVs around the world. But what particularly are you bringing from a Scandinavian perspective? I would say that it's a really strong movement now on on integrated care and how we really can have a population-based approach in that work. And uh, what I can see now that, um, especially maybe around social care, primary care, but also from a, a leisure and culture side, we can see that uh, within the local communities, there is a lot of collaboration going on on which role can healthcare have in uh, in a population perspective uh, I, I think uh, healthcare is, is still pretty used on talking on on uh, patients but really looking at the population's need and the person-centered perspective is, is really a, a big issue right now um, and I think also that the the needs around mental health is a is a strong case right now on how, how we can develop that work further do you want to give us an example of a QI project in a kind of population health or public health context, just so people can get a sense of how it would work? Yeah, we have uh, some great examples around Sweden, where I'm from. And uh, in Gothenburg, they, I think it's it's really good sometimes that we narrow down to uh, a, real, a, a small community you can say the microsystem for health <laughs> and and uh, and from that you can work uh, on a very grounded um, uh, collaboration and we have some examples from uh, an area called Angered 
where they really have the, the hospital has reached out to have a, a much more proactive work together with the, the population they serve. So they, uh, they have um, health guides, for example, working at meeting places and out within the uh, community to catch up needs and to work more actively outside of the hospital. Uh, which I think is great. And they will be a part of the study visits within the program. Uh, and I also can see there's a lot of things going on in Malmö, which is a, a big city in Sweden, also also concentrated on, on the communities where we can see the biggest health gaps, the socioeconomic health gaps. And I think that's a, an important focus, especially now in the times of COVID now, where we can see how health is diverse on a very uh, strong way. Yeah, I was going to say that does lead us on really nicely to this conversation about inequalities, doesn't it? Doing that kind of community-based work or grassroots work where you're trying to reach out to people who are most affected by health inequalities or socioeconomic inequalities. I guess what we've seen during the pandemic is those inequalities have really been magnified. The people who um had a tougher time before the pandemic are experiencing even more inequality as a result um do you think there's more of a thirst within health systems to address those inequalities now because of the pandemic and also i guess all the other movements that have happened me too black lives matter etc cetera, etc cetera. yes i'm definitely sure of that and uh, i think it's really much on what you're into now that it's the combination of storytelling because we can see a lot of especially around the as you said the me too and black lives matter it's a really a lot on the storytelling combined with this drive on on uh, covid now which i think is very data driven also that you have both the storytelling but also the the data driven work where we uh, have the data more uh, actionable we need to act on the data today and test new work ways and try to spread them on a, on a wider basis and so on. I think that's an interesting time to see how we really can get the storytelling and the data together, because that, that's, uh, I think, where the magic will happen. Yeah, absolutely. I guess what we tend to see in the media you know, whether that's a newspaper or a magazine or the social media world, is it's kind of 99% story and 1% evidence or data. And in the science world, it tends to be the other way around. Um, so it's about, it's about getting the right mix, isn't it, of the two to actually be able to have the conversation and move it forward. QI seems to be an area where there's more story than than a lot of healthcare, in my experience. If you go to a QI conference, you often have storytelling or patient perspectives as a kind of key part of the events yeah what's your thinking about getting that right combination of the two yeah i think we we can often get clues of needs uh, through data but getting the, the 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 true picture the everyday life of living uh the the, the everyday living we really need to get the, the stories and, and, the, and the conversation with the ones we serve. Uh, otherwise, I think the data will also, uh, only be 
a part of the the guessing strategy <laughs> uh and i especially in these times i think this uh we can see now for example in in uh in Sweden now, a lot of um, healthcare systems has invested in different health communicators uh, during the pan- pandemic, and those are are people coming from the the countries that we have uh, the most. Um, what do you call it? Uh, Immigration. Yeah, and uh, that has been a great resource, of course, on on communicating around health and the need for vaccination and everything. Uh, that's just one small example. I was going to ask because Sweden is kind of notable internationally for a, a being a country where immigration is, has been welcomed over the last few years and you've got a very diverse population. And I suppose that brings its own specific challenges when it comes to um, making sure that the health system is equitable for everybody. Um, have you got examples of what you've done in Sweden to ensure that it's fair for everyone, bearing in mind you've got this very diverse population of immigrants from the last few years? What I think is, uh, I think in, the, in most countries, I think uh, the most diverse populations are very geographically uh what do you call it? Condensed, or they're often in the same areas, and that's in, uh, that's where we really need to to get our health systems to work. And I know that there are now uh, there are, you know twenty one different uh, counties within Sweden, and I know that maybe seven or eight are really trying to to put their um, uh, especially the primary care is now in seven or eight counties giving a much stronger population mission within the primary care. And the way they do that is often based on the communities, once again, where we can see the most diverse populations. So how can the primary care within that area with may- maybe 500 inhabitants, uh, that makes it much more doable, I think. And, and that, that those primary care units get more resources to have the power to reach out outside of the health system within the community also. And we can say, uh, we can see that, we're tr- that many regions are trying to get that integrated approach around health. And so the kind of solutions that you're seeing there in a primary care setting to ensure that the system is more accessible and equitable for immigrant populations are they the same as you were talking about before where it's kind of you know grassroots links into i don't know community organizations or cultural groups to make sure that the systems are seen as something that people could find useful and helpful for their health what's the team around uh, people from diverse backgrounds that will do the difference and i think what what role in the team has healthcare in closing health gaps and I think you know from from a from an inhabitant's perspective, uh, our different parts, whether it's a social care or a school or primary care, we're all uh, different parts within their common support system. We can say, and we're not so trained of looking in that way. I think, but we re- if we really try to have that person-centered focus, we could see that we're all part of the same support system from a a person or patient perspective i think i guess it's about 
supporting the whole person, isn't it? As a practitioner, if you work in primary care, I'm thinking of a family doctor, a general practitioner, as we'd call them here in the UK, actually supporting the whole person rather than just trying to treat them for the specific problem that they're presenting with. I guess a lot of practitioners think of the social injustice or the health inequality problem as not theirs to deal with. You know, it's not their responsibility. It might be that somebody is struggling because they're lonely or they don't have a job or they're very poor. And the family doctor might think, you know, those are not my problems to solve. They need to go for social care or the benefit system. How do you think practitioner roles need to evolve so that we can provide that kind of more holistic support for people? I think it's a lot around uh, in what meeting places do people and patients have trust. I think it's a, a lot around trust. And if you look that in a community, what actors have the, the trust to ensure people and uh, to uh, coach people maybe also on what's best for their health and their lives? And, and, and uh, I was telling you a bit uh, around Malmö before, a city here in Sweden, and they have an interesting concept where they call the activity houses. And they have these activity houses within the uh, communities with the, the biggest health uh, struggles. So uh, activity house, where is that uh, placed within a community? It's within the school. So the school is the health system. So they say the school is never closed. It's open 24 hours. Within the school, we have the uh, culture and sports activities free for everyone. Um, seniors are welcome. Uh, this is a place for parents to have fun and cook with the children and so on. I think that's an interesting uh, view on things, that they could see that the trust system was within the school. And then the, 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 the healthcare can, of course, visit the school then to, to get some mes messages out and talk around uh, maybe some diagnosis or what, what the, uh, what's mostly important for, for the people and so on. But I th think that could be an interesting uh, question out there to, to have a, a reflection on the, on the trust system. So if people are listening to what you're saying and really liking what you're talking about and thinking, I want more of Jesper, uh, just tell us briefly about the three sessions that you're going to be covering at the conference so they can make sure they put those in their diary. Yeah, I will uh, have uh, join a, a session on uh, children's health uh, and how to, uh, there are some really strong programs out there, both in Sweden and internationally, on how we can bring the, the whole system for what's best for children and families. Uh, I will also uh, join and, and lead a seminar on uh, how to break involuntary loneliness, uh, which it's a, a, a really um, important issue in these days, and especially for around seniors and so on. Um, there will, will also be a really interesting uh, workshop on uh, the learnings from an IHI European network. Uh, so we'll have a interesting uh, workshop on what we can learn from the work within that and so on. So, so it's, uh, I'm sure you will see me around uh, Gothenburg there.
it's interesting that this is the first face-to-face European quality forum for quite some time. Um, I think three years, actually. I think the last time um, a, a face-to-face conference happened was the Glasgow conference, which was nearly three years from this one, which is planned in uh, in the spring of 2022. I know how you're going to answer this, but do you think this kind of in-person collaboration is is important? And how is it different, do you think, from what we've had over the last couple of years with all the online meetings? it's a kind of a basic human need to gather around the campfire, you could say, uh, to meet eye to eye and bring understanding for the journey we're on and to build power to tackle the challenges ahead and so on. And I think this uh, campfire feeling will be uh, a strong focus for this conference. And also I think now, during and after the the pandemic i think maybe the the face-to-face conferences will think more around what's the unique thing around face-to-face uh, and i'm really exciting that we have a a lot of uh, uh we, we have within the program group we have a saying that is uh, a party you can't miss and i think i think that could be that's something around the face-to-face value i think yeah and just thinking about the pandemic and the international impact that the pandemic has had on countries and on populations what role do you think quality improvement can have in moving forward now i think we're already there that globally we have had to use quality tools to uh, tackle this pandemic and uh, I can see a lot of QI action around the globe on how to have a culture of measuring what matters, for example, uh, as we talked around data and so on, and also the storytelling. Uh, I also think that um, the insights on testing small scale, uh, to collaborate on small scale, and then to reflect on when have we tested enough to go wide and so on i think that is also uh, a big learning in in a quality improvement perspective around that and uh, maybe also with the no you know uh, the microsystem thinking also that we were used of talking of the clinical microsystems you know people in need of care but during pandemic it's more of a maybe a a, a community based microsystem it has it's it's been a more upstream focus within the quality improvement which i think is very welcoming to to explore further Mm -hmm.